the 7th, 2019, and this is 508, a show about Worcester. I'm Mike Benedetti. This is Brendan Malikin. How's it going, brother? Brendan, it's going good. How are you doing? I'm well. Uh, these really nice chairs are not super ergonomic, and I feel like my posture is a little bit off. So I feel if like I sit awkwardly, I'm, I'm apo- I apologize in advance. I just don't want to have a sore back later. I know. We need more adjustable chairs on this program. Um, yeah, I feel like... W- Setup-wise, this is our best setup we've had in two years. This is stunning. We are still in an awkward small closet, but because of the amount of equipment that we've managed to shove into this awkward small closet, it seems like a completely professional setup. It looks and sounds much less like a tiny closet. Yeah. Um, I'm happy with this. You see, you were just telling me before the show about a Worcester Business Journal article, which I haven't read, so I can't tear it apart. And Um, I barely read it, so I'm going to make half of it up as we go along. Please do. No, you know what it was is... It was actually a really nice piece about economic indicators and the way Worcester is starting to play catch up on a lot of economic indicators that we were sort of left behind on, um, uh, either by other gateway cities or uh, big cities, national national stats and whatnot. But there are a couple things that I saw people starting to pick apart online that were a little bit concerning that um, so the, the period that they were looking at data-wise was 2010 to 2017. It seems in that period of time, there was like a decrease in the number of Worcester residents who had a bachelor's degree or higher. Okay. Um, there was a decrease in the value per square foot of uh, homes um, and an d- increase in the overall poverty level. But th- the thing was that you know, it, it, I was getting into a couple of conversations with folks on that front I feel as though like there's been so many great stories uh, in in regional national media about the city that like we have it in our head that like because Chronicle comes in and does a really nice story that like about Worcester changing that everything changes overnight mm-hmm. and it seems like if you actually look at that period in time like we have a, an aging population uh, and, and a you know in a very healthy immigrant population right like so you would look at both of those things. And, so, and we were a former, you know, working class city, right? So, like, yeah. college education rates uh, were always low, right? But they also are increasing quickly, right? As that aging population kind of disappears, mm-hmm. uh, either moves out or passes away, and more young people uh, fill those those slots, uh, as well as seeing uh, immigrant populations nationally, uh, you know, leapfrogging their 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 peers in terms of education uh, attainment rates um, and earnings potential much faster than previous waves of, of immigration. It just seemed like an odd period of time to look at that. Like, yes, we're lagging. Of course we're lagging. We've been lagging for 70 years. That's like the story of, of a lot of like middle cities and secondary cities is lag. I just, it kind of, I was taken aback by how it seemed a lot of folks expect things to change overnight. I think I said to you before the show, like, I think the, the best example is like New York, right? Like, you and I probably, I mean, I know I have, you probably remember the tail end of a New York City that was not the kind of place that you would bring like family to like have like yes. a, a, a fantastic vacation. Like yes. when 42nd street was more like the deuce, not like what it is I, today. Yeah, I, I, I only ever had one trip to New York during that era, but I definitely saw that part of it. Sure. And, and, and we're not that old, like we're, we're old, but we're not that old. Right? It takes time for cities to change. And I feel like that's like both on a local level where you got folks that are all keyed up, uh, queued up to, to say, look, told you so, Worcester can't get anything right, mm-hmm. as well as from an outside perspective. Like, people uh, expect results, positive results, uh, to be immediate. 
It's like I, I I would assume best case scenario, like if Worcester were to to, to achieve like a real turnaround and start uh, uh, you know getting back on its feet in a in a real meaningful way, that's something that takes decades. It's not something like we'd be lucky if we saw that in our lifetimes where we'd really be able to celebrate it. Like you would hope that it would be the kids behind us would be the ones who would really be able to appreciate all the work that's going to the city now. That's really that's all. So we've really been bu- more building the foundation for prosperity than yeah, uh, after experiencing years, prosperity after years of stagnation. And and I think a part of it too is that how long for for, for how long was Worcester completely ignored or at best just the brunt of a joke uh, from the rest of the region, right? Yes. Now suddenly it's getting some attention, but like a couple thousand, you know, young professionals or people from Metro West moving to the city. I mean, that's a statistical anomaly in terms of offsetting a city that has, I think it was like a 30 percent, you know, bachelor degree or higher education attainment rate. Right. Like you're going to need a lot of people to come in for that number to shift upward to where you would hope it would be. Uh, and I don't even know where we would hope it to be, right? Because like maybe that's something that starts to dip down again as college uh, costs continue to increase and you have a generation that comes up saying, hey, maybe I don't want to uh, go to college now. I want to go into a trade or something. There's, there's so many other factors that go into that. It just seems like an odd... St- it was a great story overall, but there are so many things that I think allowed for people to complain about that were somewhat unfounded. I want to, I do want to run through the, the numbers on this and maybe next week we, can we talk, should totally bring it back this. up because there's so much data in there. Yeah. It was an economist from up at Holy Cross that did it. I'm not knocking any of the research that was done. I mean, it's just, just data it's great data for the city to be looking at. I think it was just how quick some people were to criticize the data as uh, indicative of how Worcester can't get anything right. So man, like we're getting a lot right, but like good things don't happen for a city of 185,000 people overnight. Again, it takes like decades to change. You know, this week I was talking to a friend of mine who's from a small town about uh, the latest small town gossip that they, that they had gotten from a friend. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, as somebody who also is from a small town and gets small town gossip periodically, I was like, I'll, I'll, I, I can guess what it is, which is that it's all going to be personal tragedy, just a huge array of personal tragedy plus... Like, we got a Chipotle. Uh, and that's pretty much what it was. In yeah. fact, it was all just like suicide attempts and divorces and crimes and brain damage and uh, also like a great franchise restaurant moving into the area. I, I Sometimes I feel like Worcester News looks looks like that, right? That it's all like, oh, we're getting a Ruth's Chris Steakhouse and we're really building some great parking stuff. And plus we have like a bunch of murdering and drug dealing going on. But if you want to be part of that murdering and drug dealing, there's going to be places for you to eat and park. <laughs> Which is uh, great. Yeah, that, that, that somehow the positive human angles of these things just don't they're just hard to quantify they're not newsworthy well they're not covered at all police reports on them yeah there's no feel-good story of the uh of of the day and it's um yeah no i mean and it's also i think indicative as well too of how we tend to view wherever we're from small town big city based on our circle of influence right and like you have a wildly varied circle of influence way more than, than i do um but I, I think both, there was a couple months ago we were looking at some data, transportation data on people commuting into Boston. Mm-hmm. And I remember both of us kind of getting to the line of how many people actually commute into Boston every day and being a little bit shocked because the number seemed really small relative to what we thought it would be. And it was at least I was shocked because it was it, I think it was like 3000 people or something like that. It, it wasn't a huge number. But like, if, you, if I were to, to do a, a polling of, of a lot of my circle uh, of people I deal with on, on a daily basis, the majority of them are commuting towards Boston every day. But that's not indicative of the city. That's indicative of my really limited scope of, 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 of penetration into a city of sure. 185,000 sure. people. And I think that's, again, part of the problem. What, why 
you know, Worcester's always been called like a big, small town. And, and I think that parallel is correct, that when we are talking about ourselves, oftentimes we're talking about the few hundred or a few thousand people that might be, you know, a loose part of our life. We have no idea what the other 180 2,000 people are up to, right? And it's probably something that is not very similar to what we do on a day-to-day basis. It's a big city. And yeah. even, in a, even in a small town, you know, if you don't know everybody, if you're not from a small town of like 50 people or 80, 800 people, right? Like, chances are good people are up to some stuff that might surprise you. And yeah. You know, in one of his novels, Graham Greene commented that every city, no matter how big it is, to any in one of its residents is 50 people in a couple dozen streets. Yeah. And I think that this is not uh, a sign of our personal parochialism. Mm-hmm. I think this is a sign of how our brains, our limited totally. brains construct reality is mm-hmm. that we're just not well evolved to deal with 100,000 people and hundreds of streets. And so we just kind of right. filter it down to like, these are the really important things that I can actually keep track of. You know where I think you see that a lot and it's, uh, it has nothing to do with cities or, 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 or sociology or anything really, zoos. Right, like this is the okay. this is the problem I've always I've with a personal sort of like moral dilemma I've always had with zoos. Right, like I've been I, I think fortunate enough as a kid where like I get to experience a lot of really big like world class zoos. Right, but even as a kid, you can't not feel bad for you know an animal that's like stuck in a cage. Right, like you watch a gorilla, you know, in, a, in a, no matter how nice that environment is. It's just grim, right? You know that gorilla has better places to be than in that box or like a couple of rhinos sitting in, you know, a waiting pool at the San Diego Zoo, right? Like, I'm sure they're very well taken care of, but those rhinos probably wish they were some, somewhere else. Yeah. Or if they were somewhere else, would probably like a little bit better. But at the same time, right, if you didn't have those places to go to actually observe those animals would you be able to actually like make them exist in your head right like just if you if your only experience with with, with an animal is as david a, Ad- as a veteran of african safaris the answer is yes but <laughs> as a veteran you want to go see them right like but if your only if your best exposure to 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 an animal that only existed on another continent was a david attenborough special you wouldn't it might be lesson. really hard for you to appreciate how magnificent they are and why so many of them deserve as much protecting say as like humans do yeah, right yeah. and yeah it, it kind of is this like our brain is not good at just capturing all of reality right because that's mm-hmm. a, there's a lot going on out there <laughs> capture what's in front of it right now and you know we're all limited in terms of what we put in our front of our faces brendan the national and international news today are discouraging (laughs) so i'm going to start saying this every episode because every episode it will be true no matter how long it takes me to finally put it back online people no matter when you how did you know how did you predict it the national and international news today is discouraging so i want to bring it back to worcester news uh the big y supermarket chain has stopped offering plastic shopping bags um, the biggest blog post I still ever did was about uh, this thing that Scott Schaefer Duffy and I did 14 years ago now, where yeah. we hand sewed a bunch of uh, cloth shopping bags and silk screened some stuff on them and handed them out to shoppers at the local Big Y, uh, and telling them don't use these don't use these plastic bags. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's just sort of funny to see this like become now it's like a thing which like a, yeah sure plenty of supermarket chains are just like trying to get ahead of this yeah. whole trend and just doing it. Uh, and 14 years ago, you know, was still a time when like you would buy stuff, and if you brought your own bag, the cashier would kind of side eye you and be like, "I'm just going to put this stuff in a plastic bag. I'm not going to have to keep shifting gears for every persnickety customer with their own bag." So as long as we've lived together, my wife has all, and I've I mean, that's what we've done. But she started it. 
And I have to admit, like right out of the gate, going to the supermarket, like carrying all of these bags, like mm-hmm. to go sh- to do like a weekly shopping for like a family, mm-hmm. it was it was probably one of the most anxiety driving things initially in my life. But but because like you couldn't help but feel like you were on a stage, like be, like everybody around you is like, people oh, these you. people, like they're coming in with their tote bags or whatever. Now it's normal though, right? I mean, everybody kind of does do it, and it is neat with. The way corporations, I think, like Big Y, and kudos to them for doing it, it's, it's, pro- it's probably driven by trying to get ahead of any losses that might come down the, 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 right. the road from uh, legislative maneuvering. From being forced to do this. Yeah, and, and in that sense, it's actually really smart. But, I mean, man, I, I, I can't believe that we're still having this conversation, to be honest with you. It's, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, it's funny to think about. Um, it's going to be kind of interesting yeah. to see if it, there's potential that by the time we get to the election this year, the only place you'll be able to get a plastic bag in Worcester is from Worcester City Hall. <laughs> You know, I'm just thinking about, uh, you know, my my dad, as I pointed out in the past, has just exclusively used uh, reusable bags for mm-hmm. just decades now. And although he's a big, big environmentalist, I don't think his, the impetus for that for him has ever been environmental. It's always been the same reason that like a Navy SEAL, if they're going to go on a mission, mm-hmm. is going to bring like a really sweet knife. Yeah. Because like somebody else would be some amateur would be like, well, there's if I needed to stab something, there's probably sticks I could break in half. There might be a pointy rock. I can figure something out on the ground when I get there. I'm not going to be prepared. Whereas the Navy SEAL is like, I need the best tools possible mm-hmm. because this is like I'm serious about yeah. this. And I'm the same thing with my father. He's just like, I can't use those bags. Those bags are not going to. If you're a serious shopper, like <laughs> those bags are not going to cut it, man. Yeah. You're going to have crisis after crisis yeah. un- unnecessarily. Yes. No, I'm with it. Um. Brendan, you know what government chose their leader randomly, at least partially? No. Did we have one? There was. The Republic of Venice from wow. 1268 to 1797. Here's an article from... Here I was uh, thinking I was being novel with my suggestion I that know, we randomly... Uh, I think it was the day after the last time that you were talking about this. I mean, people have, many people have talked about in many fora yeah. and many items of fiction the idea that we should just pick a president or a leader randomly from mm-hmm. among the populace, especially from among the, the unwilling part of the populace. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah this is an article from Alexei Tereshenko. He says, for more than five centuries, from 1268 to 1797, the procedure to elect the, elect the doge, the chief of state of Venice, did not change. First, first round, you choose 30 members of the Great Council by lot. These 30 are reduced by lot to nine. These nine people choose 40 other people. These 40 are reduced by lot to 12. These 12 people choose 25 other people. These 25 people are reduced by lot to nine. These nine people choose 45 other people. These 45 people are reduced by lot to 11. These 11 people choose 41 other people. These 41 people elect the doge. By the way, despite the fact that he was elected for life, the power of the chief of state in Venice was very much limited. He could not appear in public without other officials present, which gives you security Mm -hmm. from populism. He could not meet foreign diplomats or open foreign dispatches without other officials present, present, giving you security from collusion with foreign governments. And he could not possess any property in a foreign land. Um, And and so the initial question I'm sure everybody has is, why so many rounds of alternating voting and randomness? I assume it's because, you know, those 40 people who were elected by some nine people, like those 40 people are an actual part of the right. government. They're the council of trade or the council mm-hmm. of judiciary or whatever. And then those 40 people, 
12 of them are selected randomly, and then those 12 people choose the council of something else. Right. And so the final council of 41 is the people who get to elect the leader. Right. But you get to be one of those 41 people by the process of all the other aspects of government, either choosing uh, random members of uh, the citizenship or those random members voting on. And with that many rounds, it makes any sort of collusion at least statistically difficult. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the the problem with this for, say, the city of Worcester to do this is if we chose, you know, if we were like, okay, we're going to choose 11 members of the city council Mm -hmm. by lot. um, I feel like the possibility, I don't know if people would really trust that process, like that they would trust the honesty of the process, that they wouldn't feel like, oh, yeah, well, somebody in city hall is just manipulating the random number generator. That's possible, but I mean, I think when, uh, you know, yeah, I mean. I mean, I guess if it's, uh, I guess, I mean, I guess you can say like. Uh, see, I look at it, I think it becomes the best lottery in, in, in the world. When yeah. you, if you, and that's the perspective you'd have to take on it, right? Like, yeah. you're giving everybody the opportunity because because our government is a part-time government. So, with the exception of the city manager, that we won't change that for the time being. We'll get our legs under us first with all this randomness. Um, you're basically giving $30,000 a year uh, lottery winnings uh, to anybody in the city. I mean, maybe, so here's, I think here's actually how you do it in a way that seems trustworthy. This is one way at least where you would just say, okay, everybody in Worcester who's open to being the mayor, file some paperwork. No, it has Hall. to be the unwilling. The unwilling need to be a part of this. <laughs> well, whatever. And potentially so, cats. We asso- you know, so we, asso- we assign every member of, every resident of the city of Worcester a number mm-hmm. who's a, Going to be going to be an acceptable mayoral candidate. We accept assign them a number, say a five digit number, because there's probably not going to be more than a hundred thousand people mm-hmm. who are going to be on that list. And then that becomes a matter of public record. And then you just say like, I don't know, like does do they eventually calculate like the Dow Jones Industrial Average down to like you know twenty decimal places? Because if so, you could just say like, okay, and on election day. At the close of business, the last five of those decimals, which are random enough, Mm -hmm. the last five of those 20 decimals, nobody can manipulate those last five decimals. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. Um, That will be who it is. So we sort of know in advance what everybody's number is, and you can verify, yes, okay, there's the numbers that look legit. And then you just let some outside and publicly relatable, publicly verifiable source of randomness that nobody has any control over pick the leader. I think what you, what you need is a system, and maybe you could build it off of, I can't believe we're actually talking about this, but uh, use the selective service model, right? So that's okay. probably the best example we have of a system that catalogs everybody who's mm-hmm. alive in the country yes. uh, at an age when, you know, sort of when you're approaching 18 um, for the purposes of uh, military service, but it also is that designator for when you're eligible to vote and participate in government on that level. That would be the easiest thing, I think, to do is, is you're just siphoning off that registration point and uh yeah build from there so you're just saying as people are registering for selective service they're also registering we got to figure out who everybody else is as well too because we that's this is right that's the problem is municipally this is a hard thing to do because every time somebody moves in and out of town i mean maybe honestly even though i think doing it among the unwilling would be in some hilarious sense ideal i know it has to happen if if you were willing to do it among the willing you just make that part of the voter registration process so you get your paperwork back from city hall and they're like here's your five digit voter registration for the next election i want a mayor who doesn't even wasn't even previously aware of what city they were living in no lives here but wasn't even paying attention to what city they were in they just they're just here they're like i think i'm in massachusetts probably yeah how would i know um but they've got opinions and i want to hear them the preliminary municipal election is coming up on Tuesday, September the 10th. There are a bunch of challengers for both the city council and the school committee, and the preliminary election will decide who makes it to the final ballot in November. 
And uh, there's actually maybe a couple of issues at stake here. It has been said by some local activists that since Councillor Lukes is leaving and she has been the deciding vote, keeping us with a low residential tax rate, mm -hmm. the cost of a high business tax rate, that if, uh, for example, Tony Economou is elected to replace her, he would be open to probably having less than the lowest possible residential tax rate, mm -hmm. if not the highest possible tax rate, uh, that the other likely people would be um, probably on the side of the lowest, have either said or would probably be inside the lowest residential tax rate. So this is kind of one choice you have is uh, if, you, if you would like to have less than the lowest residential tax rate, you can vote for Tony and otherwise you could vote for somebody else. Um, <laughs> That's how we're... Bill Coleman has asked us to have what I guess would be a non-binding resolution on the ballot that would say, should we use plastic bags for recycling or should we use open-topped bins like animals? <laughs> And if it has, if it puts it in those terms, I support it. If it doesn't, I don't support it. It seems like a waste of time. Complete waste of time, but you know, whatever. Recycling, man. Again, like this is this uh, this is this this is this thing, right? This thing of materialism. We're like, we're just we're just once items come into our life, we're obsessed by them, and then we're obsessed with how they get discarded, um, but so much less obsessed with how they come into the world because we're not part of that process, and yeah, we just don't. Again, that's like the thing about. You know, our limited perspective on living in a city. We also have yeah. that limited perspective of items. I just think we have it. Unless maybe we're enlightened beings, we just have that. No, I mean, that's an important... Maybe we can uh, add that to the list of requirements for our randomly selected leadership here in the city is the first thing you have to do is go visit uh, landfills uh, and uh, repositories of collected trash and recycling, right? So you can actually yeah. visual visualize the amount of garbage uh, that is coming out of your city uh, and use that as a starting point to solve uh, meaningful problems like that i've been meaning to visit the worcester get a tour of the worcester trash and recycling processing mm. for years i feel like everything that i know about that i basically learned on the street from people who went there at some yeah. point in the last 40 years mm -hmm. i have no idea how much of that information is valid or current yeah no and it's 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 a it's a it seems like it's a rapidly changing landscape as because we have fewer and fewer uh meaningful ways of, especially on the recycling side uh, of eliminating waste you know, speaking of our favorite show, I was just watching seasons three of The Wire yesterday, and the, one of the opening scenes were Bubbles and the dude he's running with, or mm -hmm. like wheeling a you know an old radiator and a bunch of other pieces of metal around in a shopping cart, and they take it to a scrap metal yard. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I was trying to explain to some young people the other day about this house in the neighborhood, how it had been stripped and how it was being rebuilt, and it, I sort of felt like I was telling them about living during the Depression, where I was like, there was a time, kids, where people used to steal the copper pipes and wires <laughs> yeah. out of a house. It wasn't that long ago. <clears throat> it was not that long and ago. now it seems a little bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that was. It seemed like it was a regular occurrence after the market collapse that you'd be hearing stories about houses that were stripped after a foreclosure. Before the market collapse, back. I mean, circa circa two thousand seven, this was definitely true. Circa two thousand six, this was definitely true. Need yeah. more pecs out there, Mike. Um, Brent crude oil is fifty eight dollars a barrel, down nine percent on the week and down twenty one percent on the year. Bitcoin is eleven thousand seven hundred dollars, up seventeen percent on the week and up eighty percent on the year. We'll miss that boat once well, again. Although compared again compared to its all time high, Bitcoin is still like down, you know, Half. fifty percent, forty percent, something like that. So depends on when you buy this stuff. Uh, yeah, that's it, huh? That's kind of this. This is kind of what I got on the list this week. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I feel like these municipal elections are 
they do feel like a good one to vote for for me. We'll probably have our endorsements show here in a couple of weeks. I still feel like strongly like I want to endorse all challengers, at least for the prelims. Mm-hmm. Vote for all of them. Anybody who's not an incumbent, just vote for them just to get them on the ballot. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit last time about the ways in which, especially school committee people are ombudsmen, and how do you connect those ombudsmen with as many people as possible? And um, it makes me think that like the way that we do elections could pick out the people with the most connections, but it doesn't. Like, if, if we had a thing where you only get to vote for one city councilor, and then the top six vote getters get in there, then you're like, great, we have the top six people who have like a wide network in the city, a wide, wide and non-overlapping networks in the city. But the way that we have it now, it could be like all six of those people could have the exact same large network that votes for those six people, and that's who gets in. Yeah. Um, that, but yeah, I mean, this is one reason that I tend to uh, endorse challengers and especially, or uh, uh, you know, a diverse a diverse number of people is, you know, diverse kinds of people, diverse backgrounds are probably helpful as far as issues go. But issues are not that important to these elected positions compared to the ombudsman thing. Right. But like that diversity is what's bringing you in, like a diverse uh, uh, constituency of people who are, you know, I don't know, like. You know, you got Gary Rosen in there and you got uh, you got Sarai Rivera in there. And like if you're some random Puerto Rican dude, probably way more likely that you like know Sarai or are going to be just run into Sarai somewhere yeah. and be able to connect with her than Gary. And vice versa, if you're some random crazy person, you're going to be way more comfortable t- approaching Gary Rosen probably than Sarai Rivera. Not 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 as a, not as 100 percent, not even close to 100 yeah. percent, but probably enough that it's maybe worth. I uh, like I tend to vote that way. Like I will definitely vote for like Tea Party people on the ballot if there's no Tea Party people already in office. <laughs> just because otherwise our Tea Party people have nobody to just like uh, complain to when they're shooting the breeze every week. Sure. No, that's well, and I think you just kind of brought things right back to the talking about uh, small town gossip sort of thing too, right? Because ultimately, if there's any problem with our system of elections locally, but also state and nationally it's not the number of candidates or the potential of candidates it's the pool of vote active voters right which has just gotten smaller and smaller and now it's it's very much representative of 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 a very slim demographic uh in the city of worcester we don't have a very engaged population citywide we have a predictably engaged population that keeps showing up year after year but also getting smaller and smaller year after year and uh that's the thing that, yeah, I mean, our, our, our elections seem boring and, and without much, uh, I don't know, change. Well, because the people that are voting aren't changing, right? They're, they're literally the same people every year, minus a few. So there isn't much room for, for growth there. But as the city's population changes overall, slowly you can see where, where the, 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 those, those, those persons will change, both on the voting side and the folks that are coming into office. And, and that's nice, but... Yeah, I like your idea of, just sh- of forcing some shakeups every once in a while. And I do think that's where the value is as well when it comes to uh, making sure people are being heard, right? Like, I don't need to agree with everybody that's an elected official in the city of Worcester, but I would much rather disagree with uh, people on the council uh, than know that there are people in the city who might have valid concerns at, or at least a need to be heard who aren't being heard at all. And I think that's been one of our challenges for, for quite some time here. You know, I think that sometimes the issues are even less important, uh, not just because the people who go in there tend to not be that driven by issues, mm-hmm. and, but 
and, and not just because our weird form of government means that we don't get to elect our executive, but because national and state regulations are so much more important than anything the Worcester City Council is allowed to even vote on. Um, I was reminded of this this week reading an article which was exploring this possibility that the Worcester bus system could become free. Mm-hmm. Because as we've talked about, it's super expensive to transport somebody by this bus system, and the amount of money that comes from fares is very small. But I believe it was Holden Man Dennis Lipka, the WRTA administrator, or one, 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 somebody else with a similar kind of a role, who said, like, part of what we actually have to do legally as part of the fact that the federal government gives us money is we have to be able to give them statistics about, like, how far are different people traveling and how many trips are we doing? And, like, Fares are how we tra- track that. <laughs> so, like, the idea that we're just going to have, like, just wander on and up the bus freely is like, well, we would have to consider the fact that we may be violating, you know, we may not be able to generate the statistics that we're legally allowed to generate. It's, it's, it's something, such, a, such a bizarre limitation. But something yeah. tells me we have some technological solutions for that, too, right? I mean, like, we could... Cameras. Or, or like, one of those old-school little uh, clickers that people used at concerts to tell how many people were coming into a show, right? I mean, like, we, we do know how to count people. This is not... Uh, well, we don't need to invent the technology. Tra- how are you going to know that I got off this bus and got onto this bus and traveled three miles and whatever? They're not going to have been... They're not going to... Pay attention to me personally. Even if we had a paper. notepad or some and a pencil where somebody wrote down, like, okay, this now, person got on in, now in Holden. Now you've doubled the cost of transport. <laughs> I'm just saying, I f- I'm, paper's I, expensive. I'm guessing that we can figure out how people yeah. are moving around without fares. Face That's, uh, yeah. That's honestly probably the way to do it. It's so creepy and insane. Probably wouldn't cost that much. Oh, brother. Thanks for watching the Five Voice Show, guys. Thanks for supporting us. I think we're fixing to finish up our uh, interviews of school committee members, and then I guess we'll, or school committee non-members. How many more do we challengers? have? One or two. Okay. One of them is, one of them I haven't been able to contact, and the other one I ran into last week, and I think we'll try to do them next week. Okay. Uh, and then we'll just see how the elections go, and maybe we'll talk to some counselor, council challengers after the preliminary election, and otherwise we'll just talk to dynamic individuals from the city of Worcester. Doing cool stuff. Doing cool stuff. Like, just like you at home are going to do this week. This is five. Have a good one. Bye, bye, bye guys. You know, we didn't talk about that. What we should have uh, brought up was a Paul.